to the Local Bar Podcast with your host, Chad Alexander. Come on in. We have a lot of friends we want you to meet. Well, hello there. From beautiful downtown Columbia, South Carolina, located right in the heart of Rosewood. This is the Local Bar. I'm your host, Chad Alexander, and of all the places you could be, you have decided to spend some time with us today. For that, we are incredibly grateful. How you doing? Local Bar can be found on Spotify, iTunes, iHeart, all the places you get your good and your bad podcast. If you want to keep up with us on the socials, Local Bar Media on Facebook is the best place to do that. And if you have any comments, questions, condolences, concerns... Uh, more Taylor Swift <laughs> hate mail. Uh, you can send it to Chad at localbarmedia.com. Thank you for those. And all kidding aside, tons of emails lately. Uh, really enjoyed uh, going through and having uh, some back and forth uh, with that. That's been great. And I really, I, I don't say it enough. I, I really enjoy uh, being able to talk with this community. And uh, when we have sh- certain shows that really get the the emails up, I I do enjoy it a little bit. And these, if you're curious, post that show about that young lady that's dating that football star. Uh, yes, the emails have gone through the roof, but they've been they've been very good. They've been very good. Um, a couple things, and we'll get right to the show very quickly. And and and, and there's a really good reason why. Uh, but first, I want to let anybody know who's in the Asheville, North Carolina area. I think it's November 4th, whatever that Friday is. Your boy Don Merkel, who does all the music for this show, will be uh, at uh, up around there. Uh, we'll have uh, some more hits to that on the, uh, on the Facebook page. We'll be sharing that. Uh, but check him out. Don does all the music for the, this show. He's a singer-songwriter out of Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, been doing this for a long time. Does it really well. Uh, check him out, donmerkel.com or on Facebook, Don Merkel. And also, just in case our buddy Hayes Carl is listening, I saw that his tour in Canada was canceled. And uh, I could tell by his post he was pretty heartbroken. I think he was I think he was kind of mad. <laughs> I'm not sure what happened. I don't think it was Hayes' doing. And uh, sorry to, to see that was canceled. He was doing it with a, a few other musicians, though. And anytime you're doing things in a group, you know, all it takes, all it takes is one person. Uh, I do know that Hayes made sure that all the fans got full refunds. But, uh, Hayes, if you're listening, we, we hate to hear about that. Um, and hope you're on the road again soon. Hopefully you're heading over this way. Uh, to the Carolinas again soon. We'd we'd love to see you. All right. So, um, my wife and I were on a uh, trip, and uh, it's actually all four of us in the family. And we we're coming back, and we were listening to a podcast, and that's one of our things that we do. And uh, my wife really loves mystery podcast, uh, anything that's got some suspense to it. Uh, but she's really, she's very interested in real life cases. And, uh, this one from Dateline, uh, came across our, our purview. We were not, um, seeking this out specifically. And when we're still not quite sure why we chose this one, but it has led us, uh, in, in a strange direction over the past two weeks, to um, continue listening to the show, have a discussion about it with the family, do a little research to see if we could find a certain person in the show, uh, found him on Facebook, sent him a friend request. Uh, Not only did I hop on the phone with him, Maria and I had lunch with him just a few days ago. Got the chance to meet this guy, Mr. Ray Jennings, in person. If you don't know anything about this show, I'm going to give you a brief synopsis. I would suggest you um, you go either watch it or listen to the podcast. It is highly interesting, and a lot of what Ray and I are about to talk about is um, it's nice to have the basis of, of what's there. But for anybody else or whoever may have listened to this uh, or listened to it maybe a while back, um, I'm going to give a brief synopsis here, but I want to I want to tell it to you in a way of 
uh, of kind of the uh, the third person omniscient, like you understand everything that's going on. Okay. The show first came out on Dateline. And it was done, I think uh, Ray told me, around 2011, 2012, maybe a little bit later. And they did the show. And in the show, uh, they made Ray out to be the bad guy. Like, they made it obvious. Oh, it has to be him. I can't do Dateline voice. You know, Dateline voice chat is like, they looked but they couldn't find anyone else but Ray Jennings. So, the fingers all pointed towards him, and there were none to point anywhere else. That's, that's as good as I get. Um, then, he was in prison for uh, 10 years, 11 years, and uh, they they did another show. Because they realized that Mr. Jennings was innocent from this murder. And then the show took on a whole new, um, kind of a whole new life of its own. And it turned into uh, what is probably more apropos to this conversation and what you should go listen to uh, is a is a series uh, from Dateline and NBC News called The Girl in the Blue Mustang. Here's the setting. This young lady uh, and her friend decide to meet at a park and ride, which uh, is just outside of Los Angeles. You park there. It's just where a lot of people sit and park their cars, and they hop in and they carpool in to cut down on traffic going into L.A. She went down. She and her friend were going down to be in a Kid Rock video. They were extras in a Kid Rock video, and um, and she is in it, by the way. Uh, any of you wondering? Um, and she, uh, they left the, they left the, um, they left the video shoot. And they went and got uh, her car, picked up her car, a blue Mustang. Well, when um, when she dropped her friend off, uh, the young lady that left kind of pulled away to make sure that her car was still there and her car was backing up or what, you know, she, she saw that her friend was okay and she left. Ray Jennings was the on-site security guard at this park and ride. He is an unarmed security guard. And while he's there... Um, it's late in the evening. He suddenly hears a gunshot and then goes to see what's happening. And then here's a few more. He is actually able to see somebody over by this blue Mustang. He knew which car it was happening at. Um, he went back, called his superiors like he was supposed to. Then when he, when he thought the scene was okay, he, he, and it seemed like somebody had cleared out the guy that the, or the, the person that he thought he saw shooting. He ran up to the car, and the young lady was obviously dead. And um, he went through a period of trying to work with the police, which is a very interesting part of the podcast. And it's extremely interesting in how it does not match their version uh, in the first episode. It's kind of funny how you can take the same audio and make it sound one way and make it sound uh, another way, just depending on how you like to tell the story this week. Um, just to, it, 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 I, again, if you're listening to this and going to continue on, I'm not going to apologize for spoilers. <laughs> this show's been out for a while. Uh, you, I've already given you a fair warning. So uh, just understand from here on out, we're talking openly. Um, Ray was, uh, Ray was, uh, convicted, uh, of murdering, uh, this young lady. He was put in prison. And, uh, one of the things that happened is a lawyer just happened. Well, the guy wasn't even a lawyer yet. This guy was just felt compelled to watch this one episode of Dateline. So he did. And he checked it out. And as he's watching it, his dad's a big time lawyer. And he looked at it, he's like, that, that shouldn't have it procedurally. That's got to be wrong. Dateline's got to be wrong, right? And he took it to his dad and they started digging into it. They started deep diving a little bit more into this. And uh, they were pretty dang sure that Ray was innocent. And then as they started to do a little bit more digging on their own, a little bit more investigating, um, there was evidence that wasn't presented 
and evidence that wasn't presented in the correct way, and evidence that was, we'll say hidden, we'll just flat out say it was hidden. And it's it's very interesting what happened after that. If you're really into the story, if you're really into to, to seeing how two guys from the other, like this way out there part of the legal system, decided they wanted to look into criminal law for this case alone uh, and did a spectacular job and proved Ray's innocence. It's a wonderful, wonderful podcast to listen to. Again, it's called The Girl in the Blue Mustang. Um, and, and it's a, it's just one heck of a story. Ray and I are going to get into some of the specifics. I'm going to break this up into two segments, uh, one this week and one next week. I think the two segments kind of stand on their own and there's something very, um, very interesting about both of them. Plus Ray and I sat down to talk for about 20 minutes. When I had him on the phone, we ended up talking for an hour and a half. So I, I went through and I found some of the best stuff that I could and uh, really just didn't want to cut out anything. I, I found the, the conversation to be great. And then when Marie and I met him for lunch, it was like, oh, my God, I could sit and talk to this guy all day. Um, Ray was very nice and very trusting to come on this show. He didn't. He was not a fan of the show. He it wasn't just like somebody that was like, oh, I'm dying to be on your show, Chad. No, this was he was. It was very nice of him to um, really take a chance with us here, and I really appreciate that. I want to tell you up front, though. I want to tell you up front, and I want you to understand there are things that Ray and I talked about um, off the mic. Uh, there are things that we talked about in person uh, that I, I didn't feel like needed to be said on the show. He didn't feel like needed to be said on the show because there are still some things that are still in play. Um, I don't know how much of this is going to come to fruition. I will tell you that I think the one thing both of us are, are certainly on the same page about is we would love to see justice for the family of the young lady. Um, there is, there's just a lot of things up in the air. So there's some stuff that I cannot mention or talk about on the show however I, I do want you to know this along with anything that you ever listen to there's always people that will um not believe someone there are always people that will believe that no i don't know chad i think old ray ray he, he still doesn't look scot scot free on any of this if you're curious what i really think i want to go ahead and tell you at the very beginning this guy, and I told him this, I think he's the most unlucky, lucky person I've ever met or the luckiest, unlucky person I've ever met. I don't know which one it is. I do know that Ray is innocent. And I know that because of where he was in his life at the time, where he happened to be that night, um, where he was in his own headspace and trying to impress the cops he was trying to work with, um, and a lot of the stuff that we deal in here on the show, and meeting him in person, talking to him about where he is in his life, listening to what was important to him, listening to him volunteer what's going on. I, I, I know two things. I know two things for certain. I know that Ray Jennings is innocent of all this, and it's just atrocious that he had to deal with it. And I know that Ray Jennings is a really good guy. I can tell you that for absolute certain. And I really appreciate him being as open as he was with us uh, because it's a, it takes a brave guy to kind of do that uh, because he does get he does get a lot of uh, crap every now and then. And there's there's stuff that he lives with and, and opinions that people have. And I, and I hate that for him, but I understand it and it's not going to go away. I mean, hell, they could have somebody come out and confess. There's always going to be somebody. Right. Um, but I really enjoy talking with him. Now, I want to give you a warning as well. He was on the back roads of North Carolina when we had this conversation. And he was on a, a, a phone carrier that he even told me in the beginning, I don't know how good this is going to be. The first bit here, we had some technical difficulties. Please be patient with me on it. Uh, it's just one of those things. The, en the, the, the engineering gremlins were even hitting us here in the studio. I don't know what had it going, uh, but uh, it, it was crazy how there was things trying to block us talking. 
My grandmother used to say, that devil was trying to keep us from talking, but we managed. Please be a little patient. There, I have I have softened it, edited. There's going to be a couple of drop offs. I will. You'll hear me pick it back up. Um, and so it'll it'll just be like a, a kind of an annoying phone call in the first little bit. So please be patient with that. The second half, the audio is is a lot better. But I do uh, I do really appreciate Ray uh, taking time to be on the show. I appreciate him listening, and I appreciate you, the listeners, giving some uh, giving this a listen. Uh, here is my interview with Mr. Ray Jennings, and I'll talk to you on the other side of this break. and uh, musicians and a couple other folks. Uh, and I've, I've been working on a couple of, of big interviews, and we've had some scheduling problems. I had two of them scheduled for this week. I just pushed them both. I was like, forget it. I got to have this guy on uh, because this is the first time that I've ever had someone who I found because I, I heard about them from Dateline and uh, I reached out to him. Couldn't have been nicer guy in getting back to me. Uh, and was absolutely 100% on board for being on the show. Uh, and so I had the pleasure today of sitting around and chatting with Mr. Ray Jennings. Ray, how are you doing, man? All is well over here on my end of things. How about yourself? Good, good, man. You know, it's funny. I, I was uh, I was telling my wife just yesterday when you and I were texting back and forth, I'm like, oh, my God, nobody, nobody is ever this easy to deal with. I mean, I think I asked you to be on the show yesterday. You're on today. It's, it's, yeah, I've been complaining on my show lately. We've had tons of cancellations. It just happens in the fall for some reason more than anything else. So it's a joy to be able to talk to you. What's hilarious is what you just told me before we started is that your show on Dateline is still to this day their highest rated and most commented on show. That is amazing. I mean, I understand completely, but that's a big entity to say you've got one of the the highest rated stories that they have on there. That's amazing. Yeah, it's it's amazing, you know. I guess it's a good thing and a and a bad thing, I guess, for some folks, depending on how you look at it. But, you know, the the show still gets a lot of attention. You know, I, I, my, I guess for me, the the I would love for the the show or the you know the, just my case alone to uh, come across the right people in, in order to tell the story. Uh, you know, I, I believe the story needs to be told, not for you know financial gain, but yeah. there's so much there's so much positiveness in this, in the story itself. And there's, there's a lot of negative, but there's a, it, it, there's just so much to it. And I just wish somebody would, uh, you know, decide to make like a, like a mini series of it, or, you know, just something to tell the story. It needs to be told. It really does not only for myself, but you know, for the, the victim's family that, that, you know, they, they, they need the story told too. So that maybe, you know, things can, I guess come to closure for them and they can find peace. But I, that's it's that's a that's a nice thing for you to say, and I I completely agree with you. I, it's one of the things when the show ended, it's not like it's not you know there's always questions at the end of the shows uh, because that's what makes them interesting. You know, uh, the, there is some resolution to some of the conflict, but not all of that. We'll get into that here in a second. Um, but I agree, I agree with you. I do think the story has. A, a vindication part of it that I think is is amazing and it makes it an incredible story. So just I'm, I'm going to kind of summarize it, and I don't, you know if anybody has not seen or, or heard this, there I came across it. There's a um, on the Dateline podcast. It's called The Girl in the Blue Mustang. I believe is the name of it. I'll, I'll make sure I have all this stuff correct when I when I do the show. But um, it, it's about a young lady who was in a Kid Rock video with a friend of hers, a young lady, and they, they stopped at a parking ride so they could carpool into L.A. to be a part of this. You happened to be the security guard at this parking ride, 
Uh, it was late in the evening. Her car was one of the few cars that were there. Uh, she was the victim of a murder. You you caught sight of some of it. You were able to to see that she was injured. You called the cops. Um, they basically came in. I'm gonna. Here's where Chad's version of it comes in. They came in with a very tunnel vision look to it. Made it sound like you were the only person that was there. Took that approach as helpful as you were with the cops. They didn't have anything else. They needed an answer. They basically used you as an answer. Two hung juries and then a, a conviction again later. Um, but then they found that, uh, and we'll get into this, someone came along, about the way I found your show, someone else came along who, who is a lot more powerful and has a lot more pull than I do and a lot more brains. And they uh, they looked into your case and uh, they were able to show that there was evidence that wasn't really brought up and, and really kind of hidden. And, and they were finally able to, to prove that you were an, an innocent man in this. Uh, and then and, and, and now you, you've got your life back together after being in prison. Well, you were, in, you were in prison for 10 years, right? Uh, I'm sorry, you cut out on me. What would you say? Right at 11. Right at 11. 11 right at 11 years in a, in, a, in a maximum security prison just off the border of Mexico while you were dealing with all this. Right, let me, I want to start with the, the obvious question in the beginning. When, the, the, you know, there's a traumatic part of what you went through, and we'll get to that, but I think one of the things that, that escapes the story, the way it's told for television, is the trauma of what you had to face when you witnessed and you heard the gunshots, you saw something going on, and then you see a, a poor murdered young lady in the parking lot that night. One of the questions they didn't ask you on Dateline, and I, I'm just curious, what was that like for you? How did you how did you process, whether that was years later in prison or years later after prison, how did you process seeing something like that? Well, I, I think, for me, you know, in the very beginning, I, when when everything happened, the the first initial shot went off. Um, it, it was more or less uh, at that point I was stunned, like like shocked. I couldn't believe. It. I was like, I questioned myself. Was I, was that a gunshot? Yeah. Because yeah. you know, one thing that you know people don't understand, and, and sometimes it's not portrayed correctly, is that you know there was one single gunshot. Um, after that, you know, you, you, I heard an engine crank up and. And, and, and then as I saw tail lights coming back, there was multiple gunshots and this took place. And, and, you know, if, if, if I think about it, it's, it was about 15 to 20 seconds before the multiple shots rang out. And, and that's when, you know, I knew something serious had happened. And, uh, and that is when I radioed for, I radioed to my dispatch and then, and so forth. But as far as, um, you know, seeing what I saw when I saw the young lady in the car and, and obviously she was uh, gravely injured um, uh, bullet holes to uh, her chest and, and to her face and neck area. Uh, it was, it was, uh, it was pretty traumatic. You know, it's, 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 it's just a shock factor. I don't, you know, it's, it, if you've ever been into a situation where uh, something has happened that's outside of the norm, sometimes you, you don't under, you know, understand why it's happening or, or how it happened, but yeah, um, that, that's, that's the best way I can explain it for myself. It was more or less a shock factor. You know, it was like, wow, this is, this is crazy. Like what, what just happened here? Yeah. Um, and so that's, th th I hope that answered the question. A yeah, little no, bit. no, that's perfect. Yeah. It's, and so I, I can, it's a, and that's an interesting way to bring that up. And I, you know, I don't want to go into any more detail on that. I mean, there's plenty of information on that on the on the show. But I, I think that's it's crazy. So you went from that, you went from there, you know, listening to your voice, listening to you talk on the show all those years ago. You obviously from the beginning were cooperating with the police and you you like you radioed your 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 people like you were supposed to. I, I do want to mention if anybody hasn't um, listened to the show, you, you, you really should. It's, it is highly interesting. You were an unarmed uh, police officer. You followed the protocol that you were given. Uh, but somewhere during the questioning where you're helping out the cops and giving them whatever information you can, trying to, you know, here you are, you've, uh, you've gone back. I mean, you've been, you've been interviewed by them multiple times because they're trying to get everything straight. Uh, suddenly there's a point where it becomes obvious. You hear it in your voice. Like, holy crap, these guys are coming at me. So here you are trying to process 
what you've been through as a, as a security guard, something you probably never imagined you'd see. And, and now you're trying to still kind of put all that together. And suddenly it's apparent to you, these guys, and here I'm, this is Chad's version of this. So just these guys suddenly want to pin something on me. These guys suddenly need to pin something on someone. They're using me because they got nobody else. When you realize something was going on with them and they're questioning, how did that make you feel? Did you did you feel were you angry, upset, scared, or were you mad that they were they were being like that? Well, truthfully, you know, I, I was I was a little upset with with law enforcement in general, but I have to I have to take responsibility for my my own action and my own words in this situation. And and if I could offer any piece of advice for anybody that finds themselves in a difficult position uh, dealing with law enforcement. Uh, if it's something of that nature or anything where you um, your rights are going to be violated, I mean, just don't speak to them. You know, wait till you have an attorney present. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and I think. Okay, you there now? Yes, sir. All right, I got you. I got you. I got you. All right. Um, so go, going back to you were so I'm gonna I'm gonna pick up where you cut off and I it, it's so it's interesting that you said that and again I hate to interrupt you on this but I want you to go with what you're saying that was interesting it was obvious to me I was like man this poor guy needs a lawyer and now I'm older I'm 46 going back listening to this right this is years ago but I was like God this guy needs a lawyer bad you know I could tell so that's what you're saying you knew that you were innocent you knew everything was fine. But because of where you were and what you thought was, so you thought you were being helpful. You used the word boastful. What What do you mean by that? Well, I, you know, I, during my early twenties, um, you know, I, I, w- I was really, you know, full of myself, uh, overconfident, cocky, insecurity guard, or as you know, they, they describe me and with other. Uh, colorful terms as, a, as being a security guard. Um, I, I, di- I didn't want to be seen as that low-level security guard. I wanted right. to be seen that I, I knew what I was talking about in a sense, um, that this this didn't really affect me in a sense. And I just wanted to have that macho role to it. And, you know, when I look back and I, and I listen to some of the things I said, you know, I, I, I generally gave the information that I thought I saw and what I thought I heard yeah. and what I did hear and what I didn't hear and sure. so forth. And, and yeah, some of that stuff was used against me uh, later on in my trials by saying, you know, he, he's, he, he knew about this and no one else would know about it or, you know, things like that. So I, I just, I had to take a step back after um, those initial interviews and, and I went home and I remember sitting on my bed and my, my wife at the time, asked me was I all right and I looked at her I said they, they think I killed this girl yeah and this was in early or you know in mid so two three four years yeah you know it, it, my my name was dragged in the media up there in the newspapers uh, because they had no leads um and and you know there was a lot of investigative work that was not done I, I, now that you know I'm released and I know a lot more things uh, that would have prevented me from even being arrested or even being looked at if, if only the detectives would have uh, did their job properly. It's it's th- that 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 part really struck me when you when you went through that. Um, and I you even and you say it on the show. And I will say that it's one of the things that I appreciated about the way that Dateline did it is, you know, they had a couple of opportunities in some places to probably continue that narrative that the police were saying. One of the things that I like and, and you admitted on the show uh, that very same thing that you just said. Here's what was going through my mind, though, when I heard you admit to that years ago, even on the show or, you know, when the second time around, because you said you said the first show was done in 2010 as just the 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 initial part and then basically the part where you were vindicated came later that was done in you say 2016 yeah yes. all right if you're listening I, I will i will go ahead and admit that i had to take a break i if you've been on the show before you know that i always joke about having to edit and i i, I even told ray before i was like i know you got a sensitive case man but don't let me make me have to edit i'm gonna have to go back and edit because the sound <laughs> we've had some sound issues but i think we're golden now Right, you. When I was listening to the show, going back to what we're talking about in two thousand, so we're, we're you know I've listened to the product from two thousand sixteen, 
And the cops, you know, you even admit on the show that you, you, you were, you were, you know, what you just said. But I gotta believe that when I was listening to you, that was in my head too. I was like, this guy wants to be helpful. It doesn't like he sound like he's giving me stuff to cover up. It sounds like he's giving me more than what he understands. But he's just trying to be helpful. To me, that made it seem like you were innocent. And now I'm not a detective either, but it, it did feel more like that. I, I kind of got even more angry at the cops because I was like, you know, you know, this guy didn't do it, but you know that w- the more he talks, the more you've got somebody dependent on, and and that kind of upset me. I get that you're being accountable, and I and I really appreciate that. And again, you said that back in 2016 as well. But there had to be a part of you that you were like, y'all knew I wasn't saying that when I said that. Like, there has to be a part of you that 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 thought that way, right? Well, well, yeah. I mean, all of it was that was me altogether. You know, um, what's what's not told is how um, the original detective, Detective Longshore, you know, he showed up at a job in California and. And I've always been cooperative with Detective Longshore, and he showed up at my job, and and he came in there, and he pretty much was harassing me at my job, and oh really, and you know, yeah, and he was, you know, pretty much telling me, uh, you know, I my my eye is on you, I, I know you did it, um, it's just a matter of time before you slip up, and, and oh my and god, I catch you, and um, you know, and at that point, I I kind of lost my, you know, my temper with Detective Longshore, and I, I got kind of short with him, and had a few choice words for him, and I asked him to to leave, you know. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's, it was very, I don't know, man, it, it, this was like two years later, you know, and, 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 and they still are looking all in the wrong spots. And, and as you mentioned earlier, when you, when you started the show, uh, the, the detectives had uh, tunnel vision and then there's, you know, other people that got involved with this situation, um, attorney RX Paris, uh, the victim's family were really pushing hard to, to, to have me arrested with no evidence, you know, it was very yeah. strange and very frustrating for me trying to uh, continue on uh, living a, a life and, and knowing that this was here and in the present and it wasn't going away anytime soon. That's it's 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 insane how you you know you are incredibly unlucky, incredible, and that's putting it lightly. In, in order to be in the place you were and for the the detectives to use your own testimony against you in the way that they did, I think it was unlucky what happened with the juries. I think it was unlucky that that judge decided to continue on when they really, they really, she really should have closed the case. There wasn't any, the, the, all the evidence was way too circumstantial. It, it, like it, it, You just seem like the world's most unlucky guy. And then somehow, 10 years later into your prison sentence, you seem like the luckiest guy in the world. Because what happened was essentially the way I found you, somebody randomly just happened to listen to the show. A guy that wasn't at the time even a lawyer. And he listened to it and he thought, no, this is not right. There's something not right about this. Went and got his dad. These two guys came to you. You're already working with a group where you had to you had to be the luckiest one of the luckiest guys in the world just to get the the group that was listening to your case to try to to try to get you out and prove your innocence. This guy comes along out of nowhere and says, "I know you don't know me. I want to work pro bono for you. I believe you're innocent. I think we can get people to realize that this is a sham and we can move forward." And it it all just came out of just a whim that someone took and your life changed dramatically again because of that. The 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 time when you were in prison, and, I, and you know, we could it, it's I really hate it. The group, the the um, Innocence Project or whatever that is. I, I don't mean to skip over them because what what I think they do is great work. But it was it was your newfound friends, or as you call them, like basically like your newfound family members that you have that really came in and saved the day. What was that like when you had been in prison all that long and you suddenly have 
someone who says, "Hey, I think I have something for you." Were you relieved and you would you would take anything? You know, like that, in my mind, you would do that. You're like, "Hey, whoever wants to help me, that's great." But there was a conflict, wasn't there? Like you couldn't continue with the Innocence Project. You had to basically back out of that and put all your faith in a guy that you didn't know. I, I, am I right on that? Is that essentially what had to happen? Yeah, that's that, that's essentially what happened. Um, it, it, you know, as we sit here and, and I'm hearing you rehash all that, I, I got chills and and you know flashbacks of things. Um, it, it was it was very emotional, to be honest with you. It's so I had been down for so long at that point, uh, right at ten years now. This was yeah, in June yeah. of 2015. Okay. So it, it, it had, you know what what generally starts to happen is that you can lose a little bit of hope and a little bit of faith because I, I all my appeals were exhausted. So, you know, the, the Oh yeah, that's right. Were yeah. like, you know, everything was project and like you mentioned, but the details for the innocence you submit an application, two percent of those applications get reviewed. One percent actually makes it to the final Golly. And less than one percent are actually accepted as cases that they're willing to take, knowing that they have a little, as we call in the legal world, a little bit of action on that case. The the only thing that is a, is a setback for the Innocence Project is that it takes years and years and years and years because you're dealing with law students, and every semester they're they're changing out law students, so the new law student has to go back and review your case and then try to make progress on what has already been done. Yeah. And so for me, that was the light at the end of a very dark tunnel. So fast forward 2015, May of 2015, Clint um, sees my a link to my Dateline case. And as he states in the years before, something compelled him to click that link. Clint, Clint does not watch these yeah, he, programs. Is that true? Because he, he said that on the show. He's like, I've never, it's like, I don't even watch Dateline, but for some reason, yeah. something guided me to watch that episode. Yes, and that that's absolutely 100% factual. He does not Clint doesn't watch TV period. He might watch a movie every now and then, but yeah. Clint is a self-taught genius. He is an absolute Oh, he sounds genius. like it. Yeah, it, it, listening yeah. to his background and how they even describe him on the show. I mean, you can you can tell when he speaks, he's something else. And he's he's a he's a lawyer still today, correct? He, he did he did uh, pass the bar, bar exam and he's been an attorney now for the last uh, three years I want to say wow okay so and this was this is somebody who never went to college he didn't even graduate high, high school, school yet, right <laughs> yeah here he is and so when when you fast forward to this and and it's it's so ironic because Kim was actually out visiting Kim was actually out visiting me this that that weekend that Clint had you know watched my case and then. Uh, they got in touch with a friend of mine, uh, Mr. Brown, and Mr. Brown directed them to Kim. And so Kim had actually spoke to them Saturday afternoon after she left visit from me. And she came back Sunday and said, hey, you know, uh, these guys contacted me and, you know, we talked about some things and they want you to call them on Monday morning. Yeah. So I did. I did. I, I was able to call them Monday morning and the whole office was there. Uh, Jeff was there. Clint was there. Reed was there. And I believe this. Um, to hear the attorney speak the way that they spoke as far as in, in such a positive manner, I, I never, you know, in the, in the whole time that I've been dealing with attorneys through this whole situation, nobody, nobody has ever positive. spoke the way that they did. Yeah. Nobody. And just to hear that, I was, I mean, I, I was shocked. I didn't know what to think. I was like, I mean, are, are they serious about this or like, okay, but right now I got the innocence project. So, but I'll entertain what you're saying. Yeah. And so forth. And so as we move forward, it, you know, it, it came very uh, uh, apparent that they were 100 percent committed to my freedom. And when it came time to make that decision that I had to either drop the innocence project, you know, uh, Jeff and Clint over this case full throttle or stay with the innocence project who I've been with for the last few years and, and not go with these guys. And, you know, it's something that I struggle with. I, I broke down and cried on the phone. Mm. Yeah. Wow. So when you're, you're, you're at the, you're at this point now, you've been, you've been, 
through 10 years of, of prison um, and you, you that's the beginning of your vindication is is making that decision to go move forward with these guys. I want to go back a little bit further, though. I want to go back to like year two or three in prison. People have bad things happen to them and they and they they come out of it sometimes better uh, sometimes changed. We, we, uh, anyone who wants to give a positive message on something will a lot of times look at some pivot point or, or something where they had a choice to either be broken uh, and pick up the pieces later or, or to forge ahead. But if you can, go back to, I'm talking your early years, year two, yeah, year yeah. three, it looks like you've got no shot. You've now been in there long enough to understand that this, this is something that's probably unchanging. Now, on the show, you said that you never told anybody else in prison you were a lifer. You, you figured you were going to be innocent one day, and you believed that. But did you really feel that every day? Were there days that you were lying in that 10 by 12 cell, and you were like, there's, there's, not, a, there's not a shot? Like, like what, what was that like to find yourself in a, in a position that you knew, you know what, this is probably the lowest I will ever, I will ever get. What, what was that? What was that like? Was it like that for you or, you know, what, what, what were you, what kind of position did you find yourself in? Yeah. So it, it, when you start at the early years, you know, I, I spent four and a half years in L.A. County jail okay. uh, fighting this case. And it, it, for people who may be listening to the show who don't know the prison systems or the jail systems in, in L.A. or California in general, um, it is an absolute war zone uh, when it comes to prison politics. And we're talking about race politics or just yeah. prison politics in general. And for somebody like myself, um, I, I have uh, a, a blended family as far as my kids are, are half black and, and, and I'm white. So um, for me going into this, this system, th th there's a lot of race politics involved here. And, and, and I, wanna, I just want to start there because it, it's not just about being incarcerated and then being free. Like th there's a whole bunch that goes on in between mm. and, and, and to be able to survive that the way that I did, uh, it, it took a lot of, it took a lot of galls, not, not balls, but galls yeah. to, to, to go in there and stand my ground and say, I don't believe in your politics. I respect what it is that you want to do if that's what you want to do, but I I'm not, I'm not down for that. And I'm not involved in that. Yeah. And I I'll, I'll walk this, I'll walk this alone if I got to. And so that, that, wow. that's the start of being in L.A. County Jail. When you first come into L.A. County Jail, if, if you are not affiliated with any type of gang, it's, it, it's, it's either you're going to stay non-affiliated or you're going to affiliate with somebody. And if you're a white man or a black man or a Mexican or Asian or Indian or whatever, there, there's a gang for you. Yeah, And yeah. you have an option as a, as a, as a grown person. Ooh, I don't want to join your prison gang. Right. Now you put a target on your back and, and, and people want to come after you and so forth. So that, th that was the risk that I was willing to take because I, I didn't want to conform to the prison society in that sense. Yeah. And, and it's, it's a lot easier said than done. Um, and so w when you, when you ask about that point of breaking it, it th there was a point and it was, right at three, three and a half years of being in LA County jail. And I was, I was also going through personal issues with my wife at that time and, and, and trying to deal with that and dealing with my children, not being able to see them and, and not having any type of um, contact in a sense, you know, um, th there was a lot of mental uh, anguish going on. It, it was more mental than anything. You know, there was, a point where I was pacing back and forth in my cell, which I did a lot. And I remember one day I just, you know, I was, I started re reopening my Bible and, and start reading again and studying and, and, and trying to figure out this thing I call life and why this is happening to me. And, and I, I had so many questions. Yeah. And so I remember one day it just became so overwhelming because it, it, it was just, there's nothing that you can do. There's literally nothing that you can do about this situation. The situation is what it is. You're stuck in this cell. You're around a whole bunch of people that 
more likely deserved to be there for some odd reason. I'm not saying everybody did, but <laughs> yeah, you know, sure. for the most part, there was a lot of there was a lot of bad people in there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and I got I got so emotionally and physically drained that I just dropped to my knees one day and, and I just, I just threw my hands up in the air and I said, I, I, I surrender, man. I, I give it all to you. And that, that means I was giving it to God. I, there was nothing I could do, man. And, and if I had, if I had any, any hope of saving my sanity, I just, I, I had to release everything because there was nothing I could do. They're like, you are absolutely powerless. You have nothing but a, a number and that is it. You And, and that's, yeah, you talked at the beginning of the show that this needed to go somewhere. Someone needed to do some kind of mini series or something explaining a lot of the details and things that aren't uh, highlighted in the in the episodes, the multiple podcasts, and the two episodes that Dateline did. I'm going to tell you right now. I think what you just described could be its own story. Like that's that's it's not something that I I think about. I I don't understand that part of it. That's not something that's part of the world that I live in. And and to but as you describe that, that makes sense. And it's got to be here's a guy that's innocent that can't prove his innocence that isn't just locked up. He's in a world that most of us don't understand or don't even know. We're unaware that it exists. And, 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 and to be able to go into that and, and to, you know, it's, it's great that you leaned on your faith and you found that instead of leaning on a gang or leaning, leaning on something else. And that's, that's an amazing story. And I, and I hope that part continues to get told. I think, I think there's multiple things there. You, you said, so I understand that you probably leaned on that faith and then you, you were able to find resolution Years later, again, for people that don't know the show, it wasn't just cut and dry. It wasn't that there was, oh, we're going to take your case and look, it's going to be easy. We've got something. I mean, you had, you would go back to what you said. You had extinguished your appeals. So understanding that the, the, the law system, you basically had one last shot. You had a group of lawyers that came in. They were positive. It was giving you some hope. You were, you were hopefully seeing a light at the end of the tunnel, but the chance that that light at the end of the tunnel was a train was, was realistic. I mean, it was, it was coming right at you. These guys went and found that there was some interviews that were done. There were more people in the parking lot. What was presented to the jury wasn't exactly life. And we'll get to that here in just a second. But one of the questions, the burning question that I had is you were asked on the series do you ha- hold any anger? And you said no. Ray, I'm going to tell you something, man. A- as a guy, I don't understand how you weren't and still aren't absolutely livid with the way those guys, I'm going to use the word hid evidence. I understand that there's an argument there. But they misled and, and all that. Like, I, how do you not? How do you not have anger from from all that? There, there's got to be something, right? Well, here's 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 a situation, right? When 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 you look at that when you look at that situation, or with any situation that you go through in life, a trial, a tribulation, an obstacle, and so forth and so on. Look at it from the bigger point of view. It, it's okay. All right. So, to say that I wasn't angry would be a false statement. Sure. Yeah, sure. You know, to say, to say that I am not angry would be a true statement. I am not angry. I don't hold any anger. I don't okay. hold any bitterness. Uh, my, 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 my prayers and my heart always have always went out to the O'Keefe's and the family uh, of the, of the victim. And, but, but for me, I, I had to look at it from, from, from two perspectives, right? Do, do I want to allow this, anger and this bitterness to destroy my life because I'm in a situation that's there's nothing around you positive at all. It's just negative, negative stuff for for lack of a better word that I'm surrounded. I'm surrounded by. So how do, how do I deal with this? Like, do I compound it by, by staying angry, by staying bitter, by, by looking at the the, the CEOs or the sheriff deputies that worked in, in the facilities that I had and looked at them with, with malice and, 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 and just disdain or whatever, you know, it's, I had to look at that with inside and say, I'm not going to let these people steal my joy. 
I didn't kill anybody. Yes, I'm in a I'm in a I'm in a really bad position, but yet I I still got people that love me. I still got my kids. I, I mean, there was so much I had to take. And at one point, I sat down and I wrote down the pros and cons of my situation. <laughs> at one point, the cons outweighed the pros. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was it was it was very it was very difficult to find any type of pros in this situation. However, in hindsight, as I'm sitting here talking to you now, you know, that, that, that whole situation had made me a better person than what I was when I first went in. And, and that just comes a lot with just being humbled. Uh, it, it comes a lot from, you know, understanding your, your spiritual being and understanding that there, there is a higher power in, in the world that most people don't want to admit or don't even want to, you know, believe in. But when, when you find yourself in the position that I was in and you realize there's nothing else to hold on to in life and that's all you have, I mean, you hold on to that for dear life because that's the only thing that kept me sane yeah. inside those walls. Yeah. That, that, that kept me sane and kept all the anger away from me. Yes, I had bad days. Yes, I was depressed. Yes, I, I thought about suicide, not because I couldn't handle the situation, but because I wanted to go question this God that I'm believing in. Uh, and yeah. I, it, was, it was powerful for me when I read the book of Job in the Bible. And it got to a point where Job uh, was complaining about certain things that were going on in his life. And then and God finally told Job, and, and, and these, not, not these exact words, but he told Job, you know what? Shut up, sit down, and I'm going to question you. And if you can answer my questions, maybe we can talk about something. So mm. th there's a, a point, in, in, and I believe it's chapter 37, where th this discourse of questions starts. And when I started reading this, I couldn't answer any of these questions. And I got to the point where I said, well, I need to stop questioning God because I, I can't tell you. Wow. I can't even give you the answers to certain things. Like th th there's there's a, 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 a statement in the, the New Testament where they, they, they asked, where does the wind come from? Nobody can tell you where the wind comes from. Right. It blows where it wants to blow. It starts when it wants to start. Right now, there's no wind blowing as I sit here, but yet it can start blowing. Yeah. You don't know the wind exists until it, you feel it. So just little things like that, it, it really it really had a, a, an effect on me to where I had to look at how I was feeling and take those feelings and, 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 and not allow those to overcome me, the, the negative stuff. And, and so... That, that's where I'm at in my life now. I don't take anything for granted as I sit here. I don't take walking in the grocery store. I don't take walking outside mm. of my house or sipping on a coffee on my front patio or just anything, man. I mean, it's your life can change in an instant. And most people don't realize that, whether it be an accident, whether you're being arrested for something, whether you're being pulled over for a speeding ticket, that can change your life for, forever. And how you How you handle those situations and how you – um, conduct yourself in a sense, it, it, it determines everything. And I could talk to you forever without letting you get a word in here, but it, it was very, it was very difficult when, when I was incarcerated and when I went to state prisons and I went to some of the, and you can look these up. I went to some of the worst prisons in California. Corcoran state prison is known uh, for their, their shoe program. And that's where all the shot callers are housed at. I don't know if it's changed since I left, but that's where all the shot callers are, whether they were ABs, which are Aryan or Crips, Bloods, whatever, right? That, that's where they got locked up at. And yeah. it, it was very interesting when I, when I, you know, got there and all how things worked in, inside of, you know, uh, prisons and not the county. <laughs> but, you know, to, to, to say yes, to go back to your original question, you know, I don't hold any anger. I'm not I'm not angry and and no one's going to no one's going to take that from me. I'm not going to let anybody get me angry. I'll talk about this thing until the day I die, because I didn't take this young lady's life. And, uh, you know, I, I, I just try to live my life to the fullest now.
Nothing stays the same when you're out of the game for too long As if you're looking back, trying to find the tracks, they're all windblown I'm always shedding my skin, even from within, and I don't know Where I've been, where I go, the future's so Cause when I think about how the way things should have gone I'm still out here on my own I want to thank uh, Mr. Ray Jennings for spending time with us again. Um, we've got another another half of uh, that interview coming up next week, and I'm really excited to share that with you. Um, I, you know, <laughs> again, thank you for putting up with the with the bad audio we've we have since sought out a new partner to keep that from happening and so hopefully this is the last of the bad sounding interviews anyway it just it happens anyway uh really appreciate ray spending time and being so open uh, about everything there's not a lot for me to add just yet uh, we've got a, some more information to come out, but I do think it was, um, one of the things that really struck me about Ray when he, when he talked about, um, and this is kind of a little bit behind the scenes when he talked to there at the end about not harboring any anger towards anyone. I don't know how, I don't know how I'm not that kind of guy. I, I don't know that I could have that in my heart. I, I don't know. It, 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 it would infuriate me. I would want vengeance, at least I would think. But I, I haven't been in, in those shoes, and I haven't had my life completely taken from me and, and thrown into a place I could have never seen coming. I would have no idea how to navigate. Uh, I've never been in there. But I will tell you that as I talked with him personally, uh, the questions that Maria and I asked him, he never once, never once gave an answer to make me think, oh, there's some of that anger. There it is. There it is right there. Never saw it. It's interesting, too, he talked about that part, and I thought this is pretty powerful, uh, where he was talking about reading the Bible and that part with Job. If you don't know, it's a, it's a part of the Old Testament where Job was tested uh, and everything was taken away from him. His family was killed, but he still continued to praise God, and it's a it's a lesson in 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 keeping your faith even when times are bad. And uh, he said that I I thought that was interesting. I went and I read through the questions that God asked Job that that Ray was talking about as he was going through them um, that he couldn't answer and he'd have no way to answer and kind of put him in his place as far as questioning someone uh, above him. My eyes just kept going uh, to a couple of them. In darkness, where it, where is its place? You may take it to its territory, and you may discern the paths in its home. And the other one is, have the gates of death been revealed to you? Or have you seen the gate, the gates of deep darkness? He probably couldn't have said uh, he probably couldn't have said it at the time, but I I think that I think a guy like Ray has been close to that. I think when you're when you feel that your life has been taken from you, and then you know you you, you try not to lose hope, but you go eleven years, and um, at some point, at some point, you have to struggle with that. At some point, it's got to hit you a, a little bit. At some point. You quit replaying everything in your mind, and the and the the replays start to get fuzzy, and you're not quite sure where you are anymore. And it's you know, is this what my life is? So what does my life need to be now? Like I don't know how you keep that faith, how you keep that hope. But Ray is a testament to it. In the next in the next interview part of the interview, uh, we're going to get into a, a lot more of the um, story after his prison, what life has been like, where he's gone. Um, what what's going on with him, and then yes, a, a lot of what happened with the case and the people surrounding it. Um, but I I think I'd be remiss if I didn't stop here and 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 reflect a little bit on the fact that that here's a guy that has had this happen to him, 
who is, I mean, just think about this. When something bad happens to you at work, how angry do you get? When some when someone in your family like pisses you off, how angry do you get about it? This guy has been through something horrible, and he knew or learned somewhere, if he didn't know before, that uh, getting angry is not going to get me out of this. I've got to reach deeper. I've got to look at myself. I've got to look at my faith. I've got to look at, at what I think can actually happen. Because if I start focusing on that other stuff, then that other stuff's just going to be right. And I don't want it to be. There's a lesson there for all of us. Thank you for joining me this week. Thank you again for dealing with the horrible audio. Cannot wait to talk to you again next week. Until then, take care.